Good morning. As you know, we've been talking about stepping into the unknown in our series this Advent season. And of course, we're all stepping into the unknown. And we've looked at Joseph and we've looked at the shepherds. And today we're going to look at Mary, who really stepped into the unknown. And listen to the story that you know so well out of Luke 2 as I read it. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to a, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house and Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was with, said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. I'm sure you've all heard of Ancestry.com. 15 million people have signed up for their services. Each customer has received over 50,000 matches in their ethnicity, and even the regions are given that the family uh, migrated from and settled into. It's amazing. Uh, they advertise their records go back a thousand years. You just sign up for their services, pay a fee. Um, they mail you a little kit and you kind of spit into a tube, mail it back, all postage free. And then you will find out in about a week or 10 days from whence you have come. Many people have found surprises in their backgrounds. The Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church, owns Ancestry.com because they believe that they can baptize by proxy in their temple and save many souls and strengthen the eternal family unit. Perhaps you signed up for some of these services. I sent fruit for a kit and went through the process a few years ago. I did it because I have a grandmother that was adopted and growing up, I heard so many tales about where she was from. And my mother was very silent on it and my grandmother had died when I was a baby. 
everyone else in the family told a different story. Some of them as wild as she was kidnapped by the Indians and grew up in the woods and finally was adopted by a family um, in Livingston Parish, Louisiana and met my grandfather and got married and had a happy life. So I really wondered uh, what kind of heritage I have. Louisiana had many countries, uh, as you know, in their history coming in there. And I thought, oh, I wonder what uh, kind of uh, secret or great heritage or what's in my family. And that's why I did it. And uh, I thought maybe I'll get a good surprise. And so I did get a big surprise when I got the results, the surprise that I was all Western European. And so my grandmother's origins are still a mystery to me, but I can rest assured that I probably got baptized by proxy in the Mormon church when I sent in my information. You know, interest in genealogy isn't new. Uh, in the Middle Ages, it was popular for royalty and nobility to find out their ancestry and to authorize pedigrees showing their descendancy way back to Adam and Eve. In the Bible, we also have many genealogies listed. There were 14 generations listed from Abraham to David, 14 generations from King David to the Jews in exile in Babylon. 24 generations from the exile to the birth of Christ. There was 77 generations from Adam to Jesus. And in each of these generations, God was still moving toward his promise. The first promise of the Messiah made to Adam and Eve after their sinful fall in the Garden of Eden. Listen to this promise. Remember the fall in the garden and God found them and told them all the consequences of the fall and also cursed Satan at that time with the promise of the coming of the Messiah. And this is what he said to, to uh, Satan. It's found in Genesis 3. Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head, speaking prophetically of Jesus and what he did to Satan on the cross. And so this was very important. Uh, that everyone knew their genealogy and because it was so important to, for when the Messiah came to, to really know uh, who he was and for sure that it was the Messiah. And so the one who would establish the kingdom and reign forever. And every Jewish man and woman looked for this Messiah to come and kept the ancestry because they wanted to trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve. Then comes the long expected and the long hoped for Messiah to a very unexpected couple and situation. And you can see 
there why the genealogy was so important because maybe nobody would have believed the Messiah would have come to them. And so all the genealogy of Mary and Joseph is listed in the New Testament. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, has hers recorded in Luke 3, verses 23 through 38. And Joseph has his listed in the first chapter of Matthew. Scholars believe that they were cousins, which was common in those times to marry cousins. And they had some of the same ancestors. Why was the genealogy so important in those days? Well, of course it was important because tracing back so that to Adam and Eve and the, the prophecies of the Old Testament were really clear about how the Messiah was to come and through which people. And that's why genealogies were so important. Also, it, uh, it was important to know what tribe you came from because tribes had different duties. And, and so we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, being part of the ancestry of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I wonder if she knew it uh, because she was a peasant and maybe she didn't even know until she looked it up after she found out her pregnancy was of God and that Jesus was the Messiah. And, uh, but it was written down there in the scripture for all of us to see. And we've been talking about stepping into the unknown, as I said in the beginning. And I think we can't find a person in the whole Bible who stepped more into the unknown. Uh, we do know some things about her, not everything, but we know she was a peasant, she was poor, she was an unlikely woman to birth the long-expected Messiah. She was a first-century Galilean woman who lived in Nazareth, a town of about 1,600 people. And Nazareth was not a short hills or even a summit. Uh, people didn't want to live in Nazareth. And we see that uh, as because when Jesus called Philip to follow him, uh, Philip went to Nathaniel and Nathaniel said, where's the Messiah you're talking about from? And he said, Nazareth. And, and he said, uh, can any good thing come from there? So we see that it wasn't a well thought of town. Mary lived there. She spoke Aramaic. She was a peasant class. And, and so was Joseph. And, and the peasant class eked out a living through usually agriculture or some commercial ventures like carpentry. And of course, that was a profession of Joseph and Jesus. And they had to pay taxes just like we do. They paid them to Herod and to Rome. The picture of the Holy Family, I don't know what you see when you think about Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, living uh, near a carpenter shop in a little house is probably not true. More likely, Mary lived with the extended family unit where three of four houses of one or two rooms each were built around an open courtyard in which relatives shared an oven, a cistern, and a millstone for grinding grain. The domestic animals lived there, and Mary, like most domestic women, probably spent 10 hours a day doing domestic chores like carrying water from a well or a stream, gathering wood for fire, cooking meals, washing utensils and clothes. Hard work. 
contrast Mary's life with the life of the wealthy women of that day. You might have thought the Messiah would have been born into a wealthy family, but he wasn't. The wealthy women had it easy. They were taught to read and write, and they had slaves, they had servants to do the hard work around their house that Mary had to do herself with her family. And they were able to have a more leisurely life and even parties. But God chose Mary, not some educated, wealthy woman. In her life, we can see many values as we read the scripture and and her responses to things, why God chose. And spite of Mary's youth, very young, they assume she may have been around 14 or 15, her youth and her fear, and she had lots of fear, she trusted God's word and guidance for her life. This helped her step into a very unexpected and unknown future. When Mary, received the angel Gabriel's message, he said to her, you found favor with God and you will conceive Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And to have found favor with God was a great thing because it said he approves you of you, he accepts you and he blesses you. Having God's favor was really wonderful. I'm sure that part that Mary heard, but Mary, is about to become very unfavored in the eyes of her community. He said, even though you're not married and still a virgin, you're going to have give birth to the savior of the world. Her life would become a cascade of gossip and drama and force Joseph uh, to make some hard decisions as well. Think about it if your daughter came home and told you a story like that. Uh, she had a hard time there and was very misunderstood. I described the way she lived earlier. She knew this. She knew she'd be received uh, in, uh, in a suspicious manner and people not believing her. Here she was pregnant, unwed, telling this unbelievable virgin story. She was greatly troubled, scripture says, greatly troubled at Gabriel's word. But in spite of that, Mary chose to say yes because she was willing to trust God's plan for her life. This is really a strong reason I believe that God chose her. She was, chose her. She was willing to trust God's plan for her life. We see this clearly in Luke 1.38, where it reads, Mary proclaims, I am the Lord's servant, and may your word to me be fulfilled. Her great strength to trust God through things she didn't understand and things that caused her great pain is clearly shown. Mary knew her situation was dire, but she was humble and she worshiped God and she knew that God was a God who cares for people, her, all people, when they face dire circumstances, and she was about to face them. When God throws a surprise, a curveball into your life, how do you respond? Philip Yancey says that often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain, and in that matter of fact, Mary embraced them both. 
She was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost. She really stepped out into the unknown. That was her strength, or one of her strengths. Another strength of Mary was that she reached out when she needed some encouragement. You know, sometimes when we are troubled or wrestling with a situation, we pull in and keep it to ourselves and not reach out. But she did something very helpful and very human. She reached out to someone to help her sort out what God had done in her life, what the angel had said to her, and here she was pregnant. And uh, so she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. She spent some time there. They shared their lives, their faith. And Mary left praising the Lord. And in Luke 46, verses 5 through 55, all those verses, we see a beautiful song of praise flow from her heart. What do you do? when life is puzzling to you, when you're wondering about God and wondering what he's doing. And you know, he has an encourager for you. Just look around and seek them, find them, talk with them, pray with them, and it will strengthen you both. You know, and if you're a member of this church, you have a deacon who would love to pray with you and talk with you. And if you're not a member, all you have to do is call the church office and ask for a person to call you back and one of us will call back and be very glad and delighted to know you, to pray with you and support you and whatever you're going on in your life. And so Mary's suffering was there, but she trusted God in it. Then she reached out for help and support and then she allowed this suffering to draw her closer to God, not away from God. And being the mother of Jesus was Mary's greatest honor and ultimate, her greatest and an ultimate source of suffering for her. She witnessed Jesus endure such ridicule, opposition, crucifixion. She was the last person with Jesus at the cross. She stayed there and watched every drop of blood flow out of him. She watched the horrible death of her son on the cross. She carried a weighty burden and a big responsibility. She never expected the Messiah would be rejected, crucified, endure great pain, and she suffered watching her son suffer. In our suffering, God wants us to do what Mary did, draw closer to him, fully depend on him. Within our own strength, our personal suffering can consume us, but we must fully rely on the Holy Spirit to guide, carry, and sustain us through our times of adversity. And God wants us to do that, and he will sustain us. And his comfort will always be there in our suffering and his constant presence. Deuteronomy 31.8 reads, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Did you ever think about that? God goes before you, he's with you, and he's there all the time and after you. You don't have to be afraid, the scripture tells us over and over again, because God knows 
we do become afraid during adversity. Then we can begin to see some of the reasons God chose Mary. She was able to trust him and his guidance with the unknown, reach out for help, and then draw close to him. Mary also had to surrender God's plans, not only for her life, but God's plans for her child and the life of her child. She allowed Jesus to minister. I'm sure she wondered what he was doing part of the time or didn't know where he was, but she allowed him to minister to both familiar and uncomfortable settings. Mary surrendered her child to God and God's ultimate will for her child. This is hard to do. I'm sure many of you know that. It's hard to surrender our children when they're um, living their lives in a way that we don't understand or does not please us. And how are you handling it? I think Mary is a role model of how to handle it. She didn't plan to see her son die. She didn't plan to have to go to Ephesus later, live with John. This was not how the Messiah's life was supposed to end up, how it was supposed to be. But she did not try to control God's plan for herself or Jesus. She surrendered to it daily. She acknowledged that God was in control and she relied on him. And to fully surrender our lives daily takes great trust, humility, and a real belief in his sovereignty and love. It's not easy because we battle our human frailty every day. And we need to learn and God will help us surrender our, and shift our attention from circumstances to that renewed assurance that God's will is best and he's on our side and he knows what's best for us. Similar to Mary surrendering to God's will isn't easy, but it's so necessary if we're to grow spiritually and become mature in the Lord. We will never know all the wonderful reasons God chose Mary to be Jesus' mother, but we saw some of these things today. But more importantly, do you believe that we can know he chose each of us for his special purposes, it's just like he did Mary, and that we have been grafted. We're not in the natural ancestry, but we have been grafted into the ancestry of God. Read Romans 11. We've been chosen by his grace to become part of his family. And it was not by our genealogy. It's not going to show up on Ancestry.com. But we've been brought in by something far more precious, and that's the blood of Christ. And we've been forgiven and brought into his family and made whole. In John 2, reads, to all who received him, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not by ancestry or natural descent, nor a human decision, but born of God. You were born by God and his family, if you've trusted in Jesus. And your name is in the genealogy of Jesus in heaven through his blood and your new birth. Think of the person who helped bring you to accept Jesus. 
your name is listed right after their name in the ancestry of Jesus. It's all part of God's plan for the world. It was written down before you were born. And the Apostle John writes, you were not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but you were born of God. God birthed you and your genes are now part of Christ's genes. Believe it and live it. He has made us all special because we are very loved. Let's pray. Father, it's hard for us to believe that we are totally loved, that we're totally forgiven, that we're totally favored, and you're with us today, tomorrow, and forever, and you will never let us go. Father, help us believe that as we ponder why you came, Jesus, why you died, Jesus, and how you sent the Holy Spirit and formed the church and made us part of your family, your forever family, and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.